Uh, thank you, thank you, Matt. Go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Daniel. And man, it's still early. I've got like an hour and 15 minutes to preach. Praise God. <laughs> and Dale was like, no. <laughs> he was like, no, not so much. Yeah, so um, Daniel chapter 9. This is my special Mother's Day message. Pray. Greatest thing a mom could probably do besides feeding favorite meals of spaghetti or macaroni and cheese or asparagus. I saw I saw an asparagus out there. A few salads. Oh, the torture of these poor kids. Back in my day, it was fried spam. And today they're saying salads. What a shame. Daniel chapter 9, we need praying moms and dads. And we started nine, chapter 9 last week, and we discussed the fact that Daniel was um, both a man who understood Scripture, and he was a man of prayer. As a matter of fact, we saw last week it was Daniel's commitment to prayer that was that which got him tossed into the lion's den, had Daniel just simply done like what most of us have done at some point in our lives, take a hiatus from prayer for perhaps, let's say, 30 days. Um, or at a minimum, he could have just simply closed the blinds to his windows. Um, he perhaps might not have been found out and could have prevented some self-incrimination of violating the king's injunction to not do such for a period of 30 days. But as we saw last week, we observed in Daniel 2 that Daniel, now well into his mid-80s, had been reading the Word of God from the book of Jeremiah, and there he observed the number of years God had ordained for the captivity of his people. We saw in Jeremiah 1 that the Word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. So this links us back with the Babylonian captivity, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when you get to verse 11 of Jeremiah 25, we see the, the declaration that this whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So 70 years, namely one year for each Sabbath cycle that they failed to observe, as we saw last week when we were reading through Second Chronicles and some other passages, we observed that they failed to observe the regular Sabbath cycle regulations for some 490 years. And as such, God determined that the Judeans' length of captivity in Babylon would be one year for every Sabbath cycle that they failed to observe. And thus, their captivity, as we see here, is for 70 years. So Daniel, now knowing somewhat the time of God's release from captivity, I'm sure he started doing some calculations. He finds himself there in captivity. He went from being a young man, probably from 11 to 14, to now being an older man in his mid-80s. And he starts doing the math, and he's thinking these 70 years probably have come upon us. And so that knowledge in chapter 9 we see is that which turns Daniel to pray, turns him to prayer. And the first thing we noticed was how when he starts praying in chapter 9, is that Daniel begins by reminding God of how big, strong, and mighty he is. Remember that childhood song? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And Daniel is affirming the, the nature and the character of God and who he is and that he's the sovereign of heaven. As a matter of fact, he went on to say that this God of his is the one who is a covenant-keeping God. And he reminded um, God of God's loving kindness, even to those who love him and who keep his commandments. Daniel is, starts by saying things back to God that God obviously would already know. And so it's good for us to know this in our prayers, that God, God likes repetition. I don't know if you've realized this in reading the scriptures. As a matter of fact, there are uh, angelic beings, cherub, cherubim around the throne of God that says in the book of Revelation, day and night without ceasing, they continue to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they hit repeat. And they say the same thing again 
And again, that he is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Daniel is just simply saying back to God things that he already knows is true about him. God loves it when his name is renowned. When we make much of his name, of his character, and of his person. And this is what we see Daniel starting off with in his prayer. And then secondly, we see that Daniel then turns to um, a time of penance, a time of repentance. On behalf of himself and of all the Judeans for being so rebellious and for sinning against God and turning aside from his commandments. Daniel clearly states that, that his people, that they had closed ears to the voices of the prophets that God had sent them over all those years, pleading with them to listen, to repent, and to obey. But because of their closed ears and their stiff neck and their hardness of heart, uh, they continue to rebel and sin against God. And it's here where Daniel then admits uh, to the consequences of such rebellion. We saw last week in verse 8, verse 7 and 8, that there are consequences to sin. And we need to be mindful of this. This isn't just like an Old Testament concept. We're going to see this here a little bit today. In 7 and 8, we saw righteousness belongs to you, O God, but to us, as a result of their sinfulness and their sinful ways, open shame. As it is this day, so he's talking about those 490 years when all the prophets went and spoke from God, repent and return back to God, obey, repent, return, and they stiffen their necks. And he says it's down to this very day, this open shame, the consequences of their sin. Now, Again, think about the consequences of their sin. They got taken into captivity for 70 years. A lot of those individuals died in captivity. Sometimes we have this notion that, well, we can sin, and then we just confess our sin. He's faithful and righteous and just to forgive us our sins, which is true. But sometimes we fail to think about the consequences and the ongoing effects and the consequences of that sin. I think sometimes we wrongly think that the consequences of the sin may immediately vanish and disappear the moment that we confess and repent. In their case, their consequences for sin was 70, year and 70 years, and most of them probably died in captivity while under the consequences of their sin. Open shame as it is to this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. And then in, again in, chapter, in verse 8, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers because we have sinned, a not very popular word in our culture today, we have sinned against you. Let's never be those who are dismissive of the fact that God's still a God in heaven. He's still holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. He's a covenant-keeping God, and He's faithful to those who are His own. But then when we sin, sin can have consequences, and drastic consequences at that and again, that's not just an Old Testament concept. We see in the book of Hebrews this reality from our New Testament. Here's a little portion of that from Hebrews 12, 4 through, 11, 4 through 11. Here's 4 through 7. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Not just some. Every. All. It is for our discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now, verse 8 is a very interesting verse here. It seems to imply very clearly that if you can continue to sin 
and rebel against God and you never recognize nor receive the discipline of the hand of the Lord in your life, that you're truly not a child of God. Perhaps you have a confession that you've made at some point early in life and you walked an aisle and you said a prayer and you thought you had your fire insurance and you were in. But let me tell you, if you can sin openly and rebel against God continually as a child of God and you never receive the disciplined hand from the Lord, Hebrews 12, 8 seems to be implying very blatantly that you're illegitimate children and not sons of God. Let that one sink in, right? Man, pastor, you had to go from preaching to meddling. No, listen, I just want us to be cognizant and observant of ourselves. We look into the scriptures as if it's what? As if it's a mirror in which we look. And James says, let's not be those who look into the mirror and move away from it and forget what we see. And what we see when we go to the word of God is we see people in need of change. And so let's be those willing to make that change. Furthermore, verse 9. We had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. <clears throat> Children, young adults, we respected them for that discipline. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He, God the Father, disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have, who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So let's be mindful, church, that God disciplines those whom he loves. Let's not be those who have closed ears. God sent his prophets. God sent his apostles. The laying and the foundation of the church. He's given us a word. It's been canonized from Genesis to Revelation. Let's not be those with closed ears to the word of God and think that we can live in such a way without accountability to God. If you are his and you, are, and you belong to him, he will hold you accountable to his word. What did we read in our, together in, this morning from Psalm 51? David's great confession. God sent Nathan to say, you're the man. Listen, God, it, God will sniff you out. God will find you out if you're his. And if you can continue to walk in open rebellion and sin against God without discipline from God, there can be no assurance of salvation. No assurance. Now, this is where we pick up from where we left off last week. How about that for an intro? You with me? We get to the good news now in verses 9 and 10. Daniel has kind of laid bare his soul and the soul of his people and the failure of his people and the open shame that his people are presently living in because of sin. Daniel's going to say that God is not only righteous for doing what he has done to them as a nation, but he's also a compassionate God and a God of forgiveness as well. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here we see that he is a covenant-keeping God. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. Lord God, we need compassion and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Daniel again recognized that God was a God of great compassion and forgiveness insomuch that he was bringing their occupation and captivity to an end. Remember, his nose was in the book, and in particular in the book of Jeremiah, where he saw that the captivity would be coming to an end at around 70 years. And so, in spite of the fact that these people have been stiff-necked and have rebelled over and over, their ears were closed, God is a God of compassion and forgiveness, and he will cleanse them from sin and from unrighteousness, which begs the question, if you think about it, why? Why is God, after 70 years, decided to be so compassionate and forgiving and to remove, pull his people back out of captivity and move them back to their land? Why? Why would God do that? Well, the obvious answer is that, yes, he's compassionate and yes, he's forgiving of his people who had closed ears to his prophets and 
did not walk according to his ways. So the only conclusion that we can come to as to why God would do this is that he's a covenant-keeping God. The answer to this is found in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, where God made a, a promise to Abram, and in so doing, he established what we call a unilateral covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, a unilateral covenant, a covenant whereby which God swore fidelity to the promises that he made to Abraham and it was conditioned not on Abraham's faithfulness or unfaithfulness to the covenant. God swore against himself and he obligated the fulfillment of this covenant against himself and his name and his reputation alone. Which makes perfect sense when we read throughout the rest of the Old Testament. What we see is we see people who are stiff-necked and rebellious over and again and again, God bringing chastisement and discipline. But yet he always turns around and he brings them back. And the only conclusion is that God is demonstrating faithfulness to himself where he obligated himself and swore against himself that he would do that very thing. It's called the unilateral covenant, the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis 12 and 15. Because after all, if you remember a passage like this from Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while there was a rebellious world down here sinning against him repetitively over and over, yet he still did what? While we were yet sinners, he still sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. God keeping with his promise, the Abrahamic covenant, the unilateral covenant, whereby he swore against himself that he would do this very thing. God's saving, showing compassion and forgiveness to his chosen nation Israel or to his chosen elect, the church, has everything to do with God being a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Now, isn't that good news? Did you just feel the pressure relief right there? Psh. You mean I don't have to get on the treadmill of performance and become some Christian gymnast who always is performing high-wired obedience acts in order for God to fulfill what he promised he was going to fulfill? Yes. So then why are we obedient? Why do we seek to walk in obedience so that we don't receive the disciplined hand of God? Because, because he's given us a new nature and he's given us a new heart. And from that new heart now, we have spiritual eyes in our heart to see. And what do we see with the spiritual eyes of our heart? We see truth now as we had never seen it before. And in seeing truth as we had never seen it before, we now understand something about this God and his perfections. And from our hearts, we as God's children now actually have a desire through our lips to bring renown to his name. Through our lives to live in such a way as to make the gospel of Jesus Christ look beautifully amazing. Because we see now, truly, the love of God on display in the person of Jesus Christ like we had never seen before. Isn't that great news, church? And it relieves all the, the, the pressure of performance. We're not out there doing all the things that we do in order to earn anything. We can earn nothing. We're out there doing everything we do because there are lost elect out there who need to hear the gospel so that God can save them so the last Gentile can come in so that we can go home. The sooner the better. Because we want to see him. And those who, whose hope is fixed on him, John tells us in 1 John 3 they, or 2, they purify themselves just as he is pure. They seek to live in a manner that is conforming to the image of Christ, the word of God. It's the food we eat. It's the air we breathe. It's everything to us. Because when you get saved, I'm telling you, everything changes. If you question that, just ask my mama. Well, you can't ask my mama because she's already there. 
but she would have affirmed that for you. Because she knew who I was before God got a hold of my life and saved me. And she saw what happened afterwards. And I often said, I've said this before, I thought that what happened to me when I truly got saved would kind of sizzle out. Just kind of taper away that my love for God and the desire to read His Word and the desire just to live for Him would kind of sizzle out because that's what had happened on many occasions before after multiple rededications. But what I failed to realize is that when you really get saved, you got the Spirit of God that becomes alive in you. And an old nature is taken away and a new nature is given. The old's gone. Behold, all things are made new. And now our struggle is against flesh. And we battle the flesh every single day to put its dirty, ugly deeds to death because we see something so much more glorious, so much more satisfying. Because we know that at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we want to be those who taste and see that God is good. Every single day. That's what we strive to do. Because he, we know He's a covenant-keeping God who's drawn us into relationship with Himself. Wow. Praise God. That's why we do what we do. Now... From verses 11 to 14. Daniel's going to reiterate the magnitude of the pride of Israel. Which is a way that he then is kind of magnifying the great compassion and forgiveness of God. Notice verse 11. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside not obeying your voice, so the curse has been poured out on us. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring, us, to bring on us great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your oath. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done. We have not obeyed his voice in this little section here in Daniel's praying as again his nose is in the book of Jeremiah and he turns to prayer recognizing that the time of their release is coming in upon them and he's been confessing the greatness of God confessing the greatness of their sin confessing the, the horrific results of their sin and the, the calamity that they've undertaken this is a little significant section because in it we recognize that Daniel is recognizing that God's word, that the word of God is that which will not be mocked. Did you notice how on several occasions he says, as it was written in the law of Moses, Daniel going back to the law, Daniel going back to the word of God, a recognition that God will not be mocked, that his word is settled in the heavens. We know from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 27 and 28 that God promised Israel that if you obeyed me and my words, now these were conditional promises in Leviticus 26 and 27, the Abrahamic covenant is unilateral. It's conditioned on only God. Here there were some conditioned promises that if they obeyed, that great abundance and blessing would follow, but if they chose not to obey and disobey instead, that he would drive them from the land that he'd promised to give their fathers. Daniel has linked this open shame of the people of God back to the Word of God and a failure to keep the Word of God, which lets us know that the Word of God is significant and should let us know that it should be that which we strive to know. One of the, I think one of the most encouraging things that we have seen in the entirety of the book of Daniel so far was all the way back at the beginning in chapter 1. Would you agree? Remember chapter 1, we've got a young Daniel, we said maybe 11 to 14 years of age. And what did that youngster know? That, that youngster knew the Word of God. That youngster knew the, 
the importance and the impact of God's word in his life, so much so that at the, at the ripe young age of 11 to 14, he was willing to take death over dishonoring God's word in his relationship to God. I think that's, in my mind, one of the most astounding things. Yes, deliverance from the lion's den is obviously one of those, wow, look at that, that's, that's amazing and that's huge. But to have an 11-year-old to desire from his heart to love God from the heart to want to obey the word of God from the heart. Is that not just as amazing as shutting the mouth of lions? Do you remember you when you were 11? Oh, come on, you're not, you're not helping me here. Just think of your younger self at the age of 11 and how joyous it was from your heart to know God's word so much that when you got pulled away perhaps from your parents and sent down the creek with your friends to do, to do who knows what, what was your 11-year-old heart desiring to do? Now, hopefully it was to be like a Daniel. And that's how we raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, right? That's what we do. But that's truly one of those amazing things. And Daniel here, it is in his old age, still going back to the law of Moses. There was a violation of God's word, and there was an oath that was written in the law of Moses about a curse and just like God said in his word so it happens now again lest we think that perhaps this is just simply Old Testament kind of thinking or Old Testament kind of living and this is just the way that it worked back then and that God didn't you know kind of maybe operated differently under that old covenant the Mosaic law versus the, the new covenant well notice from the book of Galatians our New Testament. Notice the first four words in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. Do not be led astray, and specifically led astray by something or by someone else. It's my contention that, and just, it, it, just in general observation in life, that many believers, young and old alike, have been led astray or deceived by the voice of their culture. I made mention earlier today that we've got eight seniors going off to college. And there's a voice of the spirit of the age that when you go to college, it's just one big frat party and you hope to get through your education. And having had three young adults go through secular university, we know what goes on in frat life. I've got a young lady right here who's in a fraternity, sorority. Well, actually, no, 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 the thetas. It says, you go to their website... I remember I said this. I said, why do they say that they're, that they're a fraternity? And it's because they're one of the oldest fraternities, but now they renamed them sororities. But yes, Theta technically originally started off as a fraternity. But I didn't speak. <laughs> uh, so she's in a sorority, and she's been doing campus ministry now going on three years, and we get firsthand reports of what happens to the freshman girls who show up and pledge and the parties that ensue. She's one of the few that's sitting there trying to rescue these young freshman girls from to, who come in and give it all away because that's kind of what you're supposed to do when you get there. And there's a deceptive, do not be deceived. There is a deceptive voice to lead people astray from the words of God that are there for care over our soul and care over our life. But that cultural voice is so strong and the flesh can be so easily deceived and led astray. Let's not do that. You eight seniors who are going off, do not do that. Do not be deceived. Become one like this young lady right here. And I hate to toot your horn. I didn't know she was going to be here today. She showed up for Mother's Day. What a blessing. But when you get there, when you get there, young Benjamin, when you get there, who else is graduating? Anybody? Who else, in, who else is here? When you get there, be like a Daniel. Be a young adult who's got God's word treasured and hidden up in your heart. Be courageous and strong and bold. And I promise you, you will have a ministry. You will have young ladies or, or young men that will be coming to you because they recognize that you are different. And they know in their, in their soul, in their heart of hearts, that what they're doing isn't the way to go.
Be that one. Unfortunately, too many Christians spend too little time learning the Word of God as Daniel did. And as such, we fail to understand the reasons for why we do what we do and why we live the way we live and why we are a peculiar people in the land in which we live. And then when we do that, we fail to realize that the turmoil that we face in our lives, whether it's at home with parents or husband to wife or other relationships and the stress, we sometimes fail to make the connection. Why are, why are we tend to sometimes be so greedy and we never have enough and so our, our debt increases or we're envious and our hearts are never satisfied. Anger consumes our lives. We have depression around us at levels we've never seen or known before. Because perhaps we're getting more in touch with discontented hearts in ways that perhaps we've never known before because of the rampant materialism that the society has been able to produce. Never lacking, never having enough. I mean, always lacking, never having enough. It's a direct result of having ears closed to the Word of God. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. Why? Good question. Because God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The Word of God. Where did Daniel go back to? He went back to the Word of God. It was written in the Law of Moses. If we do this, this will happen. We go back to the Word of God, and it tells us that there is a sowing, reaping principle that is as sure as the rising of the sun and the setting of the same. Choose to ignore God's Word at your own peril. That's literally what this verse tells us. Whatever a man sows, or whatever a woman sows, whatever a person sows, this they will reap guaranteed. You can take that to the bank. So that's not just some kind of an Old Testament principle that Daniel was kind of making reference to. Hey, it was written in the law of Moses. If you do this, this will happen. And look at us. Here we are. It's happening. It's kind of in the DNA of the system, this world system that God has made. So to the flesh. Reap from the same. Sow to the Spirit. Reap from the Spirit. Let's be those with opened ears, friends, and opened and clear eyes, being like a Daniel, knowing the Word of God, and knowing how and when to make the right application so that our lives can be spared. Amen? Just like Daniel's. Spared. It was because of his godliness, remember, that got him thrown into the lion's den. So if you're standing with Jesus, causes you, if it costs you your job, maybe view that as getting thrown into the lion's den. Be faithful to God all the way to the end. If being faithful to Jesus means that you're kind of like a pariah in your sorority or fraternity, stay close to Jesus. Your soul will be safe. Otherwise... Open shame, great peril, great pain. Let's not fall asleep in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and fail to recognize this truth. Now, in verses 15 to 17, Daniel appeals for God to show mercy again. Not because Daniel was tired of living in Babylon, though that probably was true, but because Daniel had an unquenchable desire for God's name and reputation to be made great to be revered, to be honored. And I think Daniel understood that getting his people back into his land would do that very thing. Verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is this day we've sinned, we've been wicked, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous <clears throat> acts. Let now your anger <clears throat> and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem your holy mountain, for because of our sin and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, verse 17, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, 
O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. I love the end of verse 17 right there. And for whose sake? When when we come crawling out of the hole that we've dug for ourselves in repentance, oh God, if you'll just forgive me for this one time and and fix up all my problems. We need to be mindful that the true heart is to be one that's making great the name of God. And for your sake, oh God, please forgive me for my sins and pull me out of this pit that that I've dropped myself into because of my sin. For your sake, oh God, so that through my life, your name looks great. Nothing to do with me, but you. And I think that we see Daniel kind of making that same uh, plea. For your sake, oh Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. The cry of Daniel's heart was not for creaturely comforts, but to see God's name and reputation restored. Isn't that beautiful? Now, you may recall last week, some of you weren't here last week, but last week I encouraged you to think of perhaps two ways in your life where by chance, I'm sure all of us are always just striving out there perfectly in life, but that by chance, maybe there were two areas in your life uh, that maybe your ears were being closed to the voice of the Lord our God as revealed in His Word, and to try to identify perhaps two areas in our life that that had happened where we could confess those. So if you had a list from last week, or a little note, I'm sure it was a little bitty note card, if you had a little bitty note card but just two of them written down, Go back to that note card, or if you don't have one, just go back and put it on your bulletin. Go back to that and just kind of draw a line underneath those two. And by chance, maybe by the Spirit of God, you can think of two more areas where perhaps your ears are partially closed or a little closed or all the way closed to the voice of the Lord your God with regard to the things you're doing, the things you're watching, the jokes you tell, whatever it may be that you know you need to kind of have repentance and say, for the glory of your name, God, would you prevent me and help me from doing this or from doing that? So I want to encourage you to go back and draw a line and add two more, which would bring you to a total of four if you were participating last week. And if you're here this week for the first time, just go ahead and try to think of four. If you need help with that afterwards, just come see Pastor Matt. He's always good at helping people identify areas of their life where they need help. That's what pastors do, right, Matt? Because we, we, we don't have anything on our list. That's why we're pastors. So we're just here to help you with your list. Now listen, there's nothing new under the sun. Temptation was temptation in Solomon's life, in David's life, in Adam's life. So if you're curious about how the person sitting around you, man, they're so, they're so godly. Well, they are. But guess what? The godly man has fiery darts coming at them every single day of their life. And they're putting to death deeds of the flesh every single day of their life. And sometimes it might be, it might be the, the sin of, of laziness, of just kind of getting comfortable and getting at ease. It could be something as simple as that. But let's be those who have open ears to hear from the Lord our God and see how he might bring change into our lives. Now, let's finish up these last two verses for this morning. And listen how passionate Daniel was about this. In verse 18, he said, Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city, which is called by your name, for we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Daniel reiterates the end of verse 17 and he clarifies that in an even more astounding way to make certain that God knows that what Daniel's praying for here is the greatness of God and the greatness and renown of God's name. So he says in 19, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O Lord God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. And kind of jumping the cultural gap there into our culture today, we as the church of Jesus Christ have been called by His name. We we actually call ourselves Christians. We take His name 
We're Christ followers. We identify publicly and openly with Christ. We have been called by his name and we want his name to be great. How passionate Daniel is here for the greatness and the renown of God and his name and his reputation. And it's my prayer and my hope that we would be just as passionate for God's reputation to be known and to be great through our lives as was Daniel's. And that we would take whatever action we need to take, not an action in order to earn anything, We're not taking actions to earn anything with regard to salvation. It's the free gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone boast. I reiterate this all the time because I want us to make certain that I never am preaching somehow a perfectionistic gospel that you get up on your treadmill and you got to run, run to earn it. You can't earn it. It's free. Praise God. Unilateral covenant with Abraham. He swore by himself he would do it. And he's the one that opened the spiritual eyes of our hearts. We didn't do that. He did. And so we are people called by his name. And we take his name. And we want to make his name great as well. So Daniel here is setting up one of the most amazing passages from verse 20 down through verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9. And he starts off with prayer. Crying out to God for forgiveness. Repent. He's repenting. He's recognizing the open shame that they have had to endure because of their sin. And he's saying, Lord, please forgive us. We know, I know you're a God of compassion and mercy because I want your name to be made great. And then after this prayer, the angel Gabriel shows up and God brings confirmation and consolation to Daniel's heart. And he gives him some verses that are some of the most beautifully passionate and powerful verses in the entirety of Scripture from Daniel 9, 20 through 27. And starting next week, we're going to start delving into and digging into those verses. And I think you will agree by the time we get through those verses that that's some of the most amazing stuff you've ever seen in your life if you've never seen it before. And the accuracy with which predictive prophecy truly is. And the promises of God. So church, as we leave this morning, let's leave with hearts on fire. Passionate about our God. When we sing these songs, we're not just singing songs because they're words on a screen. We sing these songs because it's a passionate fire that burns within our heart for the only true and living God. And we want to make His name great. Amen? Let's pray. Father.